really great to be with you here. And I think there's only two people I haven't met. What was your name, sorry? Bronwyn. Bronwyn. I, I met you a couple of years ago, sorry. Um, but you've changed a little since then, I think. The glasses, maybe. And there's a little one by your side. It's great to see you again, Bronwyn. And uh, David, great to meet you. I'm Trent. So thank you all for having me today here at um, Melbourne City Adventist Church, The Exchange. It's um, a place that I've heard a great deal about from people like Roy and Jinha, and I was always fascinated to come and meet you all. So um, thank you for having me today. This afternoon, as, um, as you probably noticed, we're going to be discussing freedom. And um, I'm a pretty interactive preacher, so if, if, I, if I shout a question out, um, feel free to just holler back an answer or chuck your hand up. Um, so we're going to be talking about freedom. And I'd like to begin by, um, by probably starting with a bit of a disaster story as far as the freedom concept goes. I'm going to tell you how not to do freedom. And I would take you back to um, a stage earlier on in my life, which I'm not so proud of. And that's about seven or eight years ago now, uh, when I was first dating my wife, Brianna here. And um, about seven or eight years ago, our relationship had really just begun. Um, we'd been together perhaps a year at that point, and I was the sort of person who was uh, quite a young, naive, immature guy. Um, and so it was that in my relationship with Brianna, I sought to control her. Um, and it was kind of funny looking back now, but pretty horrific um, when you really think about it. Um, I was this young guy trying to control my girlfriend. Um, and I did this in several ways. I, um, I controlled her music intake. I, I suggested to Brianna very strongly uh, that she not listen to certain types of music that I didn't approve of. Um, and looking back now, uh, those views were very extreme. I, I even went so far as to say that she could not listen to any music if it had um, you know, certain instruments like a drum in it. I was quite a young dude, as I said, very naive and didn't really know what I was talking about. Um, I controlled her in other ways as well. I, uh, I told my, my girlfriend at the time that uh, she was not to wear any dresses that uh, came above her knees when she was sitting down on a chair, um, and they had to like come right up to her neckline. And uh, my wife didn't really like that very much, my girlfriend as she was then. And so um, she would fight back, but I would just fight back harder, and I would control her and say, no, I'm not cool with that. You are not wearing you know, such things. Um, and so my wife uh, didn't get a lot of um, vitamin D in those days, as you can imagine. Um, and that was my fault. Sorry about that, honey. I controlled her in other ways, though. I, um, I also controlled her... Um, in the way that she had friendships. And so I was really scared because, you see, um, I'm married to an incredibly beautiful, intelligent, and really quite well-rounded, balanced person. Um, like, look at her. She's gorgeous, right? Um, and so it was that I was quite scared that someone else would nab her up. I thought, man, every guy around is going to be looking at her and going, I want that one. But I didn't want to give her away. So I, I thought, okay, I need to control the situation. And so I would um, say to Brianna, Brianna, you cannot um, talk to this person anymore. I don't like that person. Or that guy, I think he's keen for you. So I don't want you to go anywhere near him. I want you, you to avoid him. Um, and it was a lot more extreme than, than one would consider reasonable. Uh, and so I controlled my girlfriend at the time. Um, because why? 
Looking back, I, I think I was probably um, scared. I was scared of a couple of things. I was scared, first of all, um, that I might lose this amazing chick. Like, she was incredible. And I was um, afraid I'd lose her. I think I was probably also afraid that, um, that she would change in ways that I didn't really like. And so I thought, if I can just um, control everything that she does and thinks, then um, maybe I'll be able to, to keep her preserved in this state of perfection that she's obviously in. And so I probably had reasonable intentions in my heart, um, but the, uh, the outward actions were pretty messed up. Um, so I'm sorry about that, honey. Um, so I was scared of all those things, and, and that, that fear that I had in my heart uh, caused me to do some really unreasonable things. Um, but as I, as I controlled her more and more, I was removing, stealing maybe, um, her ability to make her own choices in life. And, um, yeah, it didn't work out too well. And, you know, when I think about my own controlling nature, sometimes I compare myself with God. Do you ever do that? You go, you know, is God like me? It's kind of a self-centered way of thinking about things, but we do it. Um, and I wonder, looking back, if God ever has that same struggle that I had. Because God's love for us, for you and I, is so intense, so passionate, um, that for him, I wonder if he's ever tempted to go, ooh, I just want to protect this person because I love them so much. Maybe sometimes he's been tempted to take it as far as to say, I love this person so much and I want to protect them so much that oh man, it'd be really handy if I could just take away their free will, protect them from themselves. I wonder if God has ever considered that. And if there was ever a time in which God would consider that, when do you think that might have been? When would there have been a time in our history when God might have looked on and said, oh, if I could just suspend their freedom for a period of time, I could protect them from many things. When do you think that would have been? What jumps out at you from our history? I think way back. I think way back to um, one of the first stories in the Bible. It's um, in Genesis chapter 3, if you'd like to go there with me. Uh, and we're talking here about Adam and Eve, of course. Um, it's, it's one of those classic passages that we, we all know fairly well, and yet there are probably some details that we haven't really brought out yet. And I'd love to explore this with you this morning, this afternoon. Uh, it's really fascinating stuff if we get into it. And so if I was God, looking on Genesis chapter 3, the story of Adam and Eve and the fall, would be a time when I would wish, would wish to control someone that I loved. And it says there in Genesis 3, I'm starting it at, at, at uh, verse 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day, he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. 
God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and it looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and she ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, "Um, It was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. You know, it's a tragic story um, of some pretty innocent people that, um, that were deceived into making a decision that they probably regret looking back. Um, and it, as we look at this passage, we can, um, we can look at it through the eyes or through some glasses with a filter of freedom on them. Um, let's examine these, this story from a freedom perspective. And so as you look in that story, um, you notice that the, the garden was structured in a certain way. Whereabouts was this tree of freedom placed? Was it in a dark corner somewhere? In the center, it says. It says it was right in the middle of this beautiful garden. Um, and was the tree ugly to look at? It was pleasant to the eyes. It was beautiful. And how about the fruit on the tree? Was it, was it a nasty, you know, rancid fruit that was always rotten? Durian. What did you say? Durian. You know, I asked the same question of some people, and they, they sort of came up with the idea that durian would probably be the worst fruit in the world as well. Um, yeah, but it wasn't durian. Well, I don't think it was, because the Bible says that it was um, it, it looked like it was going to be some really tasty fruit, right? Must be durian. <laughs> Must be, okay. And durian is, the, is one of these fruits that people really are passionate for it or really hate it. I've never had someone who's like, yeah, it's, it's not too bad. The people that don't like it are wrong. The people who don't like it are wrong. Wow, okay. Um, I disagree with you, so obviously I'm wrong. <laughs> I did have I had durian in December for the first time, and I thought it smells bad, but maybe it tastes better than it smells. But it tastes exactly as it smells, in my opinion. Um, yeah, you know what? Um, if I was God, I wouldn't have done any of these things the way He did them. So we noticed there that the tree was in the middle of the garden, not in some dark corner hidden away. That it looked really good. You know, maybe it had rainbow leaves or. 
um, you know, some gorgeous sort of a pattern to it. Um, and we also noticed the nature of the fruit. It, it looked pretty tasty. And I'm assuming it also tasted pretty good. Um, yeah, maybe it was a mango tree? Can I, can I just hazard a guess at that? Yeah? Okay, what tree would you have it be? If it was the best fruit in the world, which, which fruit would it be? Okay, you're still stuck on durian. Um, can, can we wipe that from the record? Um, <laughs> okay, maybe it was durian. Um, <laughs> let's have some more realistic examples, maybe. Anyone else got an idea? No one else has a favourite fruit, apart from durian? Um, grown trees. All right. There were strawberry trees there, maybe. Strawberry, look, it could have been a strawberry tree. You never know. God doesn't know any limits. So he could have made strawberries grow on a tree. Um, look, I don't know what was on that tree, but I know that God made it in such a way that it was compelling and, um, and totally like a reasonable thing to go up to that tree, approach it, pick a piece of fruit and eat it. Um, if I was a God who wanted to protect my people, I would have probably put that tree in, the, in some dark corner of the garden I would have um, wrapped it in the worst thorns you could imagine. I would have set it on eternal fire like the burning bush, and I would have made it stink like a sewer. I mean, that's just me. But I'm different to God, obviously. God made it attractive and compelling for a reason. And why might that be? Freedom of choice, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And why is the freedom of choice so important to God? Because it's central to another principle of God. It's a four-letter word. God's kingdom is based on love and freedom. You hit the nail on the head. Love. All right, we know that love is central to God. God is central to love. Does love restrict freedom or give freedom? It gives freedom. And so when God's loving heart looks at Adam and Eve about to make the biggest mistake that anyone could ever make, his love holds him back from controlling them and says, no, I want to give them absolute freedom to choose what they want. Now, this is a total mystery to me because I'm a guy and I'm faulty, and I'm limited, and my love is so small compared to God's. Um, because if I was God, I would have done things so differently. Um, but this is just so central, and I'm still learning it, and I'd, I'd love to unpack it a bit more with you now. Um, and I'd like to start doing that by saying that freedom means choice. And I'm going to give you a, fr- a few um, choices now. Um, I'd like you to stand up, and we're going to do a bit of a, a question-answer time where you can, um, you can reflect on some questions I've got for you, and we can discuss them as a group. The questions I'm going to um, be asking all start with, would you rather? Let's have the first one. Would you rather be rich but have someone choose who to marry, uh, what to wear, what to do, uh, and where to go, or be poor but free. Stand up with me now, and you can, if you, if you want to choose the left option there, you can go to the left side of the room. If you want to choose the right option, you can come over to this side of the room. Yeah, over there, that's fine. 
Ooh, okay. So what's the point of being rich if you can't do anything with that, those riches? I've, I've been poor and free before, and it was fun. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> You've been poor and free before? Yeah. So, but you'd rather be rich and restricted? Well, I've had my poor free time, and it was, like I said, it was fun. Okay. Can, can you, a new phase. Can you explain that a little bit more? Who to marry, what to do? Okay, so, so um, an external party... In, in the case of this, this um, first option on the left, you are rich, but an external party, such as myself, or maybe someone less friendly than myself, um, decides everything that you do, um, yeah, the people that you interact with, all of those decisions are not your own. You're going to say marry John Travolta, aren't you? <laughs> I don't think I would be that mean. <laughs> Not to say that John's not a nice guy, but he's probably not your type. Uh, looks like you've got a lovely wife or, or partner already. Um, I'm curious. We've got a few people standing in the middle here. Um, okay, Brianna's, Brianna's on that side. Are you, are you in the middle? Yes, I'm in the middle. Why are you in the middle? Um, uh, I think it's, it's, just, it's nice to have some money, but then it's always... It's for someone to be happy, you need to have a certain level of Hmm. So I'm kind of I'm leaning towards being poor and free, but then I don't want to be too poor because because being <laughs> poor restricts yeah. your choices, as, and that's true. Being poor restricts your choices about what you can and can't do as well. Um, poverty is one of the great slaves of choice. Um, you know, when someone is poor, they they can't choose whether to have um, uh, you know uh, bacon and eggs for breakfast, or mock bacon and eggs. Sorry. Um, they can't choose whether to have that for breakfast or whether to have cereal for breakfast. They can only choose maybe, I don't know, some basic rice. And so, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting idea that you've sort of sparked there. Okay, that was question one. Let's go for a second question now. Um, would you rather have your choices in life limited to only the right ones and make no mistakes ever or... Have unlimited choices and learn from your mistakes. So we're allowed to swap now? Yeah, you can swap. You can go to the other side if you, if you um, feel like you want to change sides. Okay, interesting. Once again, we've got at least one in the middle. I think you're still getting an idea of what we're doing here. Um, so you can stand in the middle, that's fine. Um, David, David, you've chosen... To have your choices in life limited to the correct ones, the right ones, and you never make mistakes. Don't you feel like uh, you'd want to maybe explore some other options apart from just the right choices? Put it this way. Life is too short to be making mistakes. It's inefficient. Oh, you're a my sort of guy. Yeah. Um, Luke, similar sort of concepts in your head? You don't like regrets. Okay, so better to have no regrets and no mistakes than to explore a little more. Exactly. If I know I'm right, I don't need to do all the wrong ones, do I? Yeah, if you know you're right. Okay, cool. So you feel safe in that, yeah. If you make the mistake bad enough, you won't have any regret because you know, nothing left. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> That's true. It's a speeding regret. Yes. If you speed fast enough. If you speed fast enough, that mistake will kill you and you'll never regret it. That's true. So okay, yeah. So if you don't want to have regrets, Luke, just go all the way. Break it like you mean it. <laughs> Break it like you mean it. Um, hmm. Roy, 
What are your thoughts on why you've stood where you've stood? So you think that our life is, is inclusive of mistakes for a reason so that we can learn? I'm saying there's, we're so result-driven, there's more than results that are important in life. Right. So it's, it's not just the destination, it's also the journey and the mistakes that go with it that makes life meaningful, maybe. Hmm. Brianna, would you, are, are you on that side for the same sort of reason? Um, yeah, I think mistakes make you who you are as well. Mistakes make you who you are. Hmm. I like that. Okay, our last question for, for this activity. Um, would you rather sacrifice the life of one for the freedom of many or sacrifice the freedom of many for the life of one? Have a think about it. Let's, let's assume that that life, that, that person, is just your everyday person. They're a good person. Let's say that they're a Christian person, if that, if that, if that helps you in your thinking. And, uh, yeah, would you rather sacrifice one life for the freedom of many or the life of one for the freedom so of many? So this is what happened. It's not necessarily like, and then it's like, and that one person is your life or your son. Um, it's well, your son, I'd gladly sacrifice him, but if it's me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's my, man. Um, bro, I struggle with selfishness as well. <laughs> we should talk later. <laughs> Um, okay, so choose your side if, you, if you'd like to switch sides. Um, is, it freedom, is it freedom to make choice or is it freedom as in being imprisoned? Okay, freedom is... is it, the, the, the not freedom option here is a completely Orwellian society governed by one person at the top. And that person decides who does what. Exactly. Okay, we've got a few changes going on here. Yeah, oh, quite a few, actually. Uh, mine is with a proviso that it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Mine okay. Christian and we'll see him again anyway. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so most of you, it seems, would, would rather sacrifice the life of one person to enable many people to have freedom. Except for Roy and maybe Dave. You guys are kind of in the middle. Um, I'm a very neutral person, so... <laughs> Right. So you'd sacrifice half a life for the freedom of half of the people? She would torture them horribly. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. That's, that's probably a safe place to be because we can't condemn you either way now. Okay, well, that's fascinating. So, um, so let me ask... Luke, why would you rather sacrifice a human being's precious life in order to enable many other people to experience freedom? Think about it logically. If everyone didn't have freedom, there'd be a lot more suicides. (laughs) Okay, that's very pragmatic of you. Just just thinking about all the history of space and all that kind of stuff, there's a lot more from disease, poverty, all that kind of stuff. Okay, let, let's, let's imagine that the net 
loss is just one life. Death loss is one life. Yep. Would that change it? So it's one life. No, you can't. Yeah. My question, I guess, the question I'm getting at is: Is freedom worth human life? What kind of life are you having if you don't have freedom? Then? What kind of life are you having if you don't have freedom? Yeah. But then isn't the opposite the same thing? Because you have lots of people who are losing freedom, so that one person can be free. Yeah, it's, well, it's the opposite of this one because you're saying on this option, you're saying, would you rather everyone be captive to someone else's uh, choice um, and have one person live as a result of that? Yeah, it's it, yeah, it's the same same sort of thing, but it's it's just flipped on its side. You know, I sit over here, but I have a two-year-old, and that's kind of what it's like. <laughs> so when it's when it's your own. <laughs> Oh, I see what you're saying. So your child, you've sacrificed your, your life? Is that what you're saying? My whole family's life. Your whole family's life. <laughs> oh, man. You're making me want to never have children. I'm going to get the snip this week, honey. Sorry. All right, you can all take a seat now. Um, I hope this, this, um, this thought experiment has, um, has highlighted for you, perhaps, or made you, made you think at least about the centrality of freedom in the human experience. Um, as humans living here on earth, um, it seems to me that many times in, the, in our history, we have chosen the one on the left over the one on the right. Think of how many wars have been fought because one nation wanted to imp- basically imprison or take away the freedom of another. You think about uh, World War II, for instance, Nazi Germany, wanted to essentially control their part of the world And the rest of us, instead of saying, yes, you can take our country and yes, you can control us, we said, no, we would rather sacrifice tens of millions of our own lives and secure freedom for our people into the future. Um, You know, more recently, I think of of many wars that have been fought uh, because of freedom. And even if you go further back in our history, you think about um, the Scots um, against the English. And the wars and battles that were fought where many Scottish men died on the battlefield for that one word, freedom. It is so central to our human experience and that's why I'm talking about it with you today. And so, having discussed and gotten into this idea about freedom a little more, I'd like to come to uh, my second point, which is that freedom means danger. Freedom means choice, but it also means danger. You see, when I let my dog free on the beach um, and I unclip her from the lead and she makes that first dart up the beach away from me, there's always the danger, the risk, the possibility that she will never come back. But that's a risk that I'm willing to take because I would love my beautiful little animal to have a degree of freedom. Um, I don't know if you would do the same. Are you all the sort of people who would let your dog off the lead for a period of time to let it have a run? It depends on the dog. It depends on the dog. Yeah, okay. And you know, parents um, really struggle with this um, quite a lot as well. And uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But you know, God loves us so much um, that He is willing to give us, or He finds it necessary 
to give us a certain degree of freedom in our lives. You know, sometimes I wonder, going back to the story of Adam and Eve, whether if God had have had his time again, looking at everything that's happened, uh, whether he would have changed the way he structured things, whether the tree would have been in some dark corner, whether the fruit would have been made, made of durian, sorry. Um, all of these things. And yet, you know, it's clear to me that God sort of knew the, the end from the beginning and that he did those things because freedom was so important that it was worth it. Now, you think about all the things that have happened as a result of God's decision to allow us freedom. Uh, how many people have died because God allowed freedom? Ten billion? Twelve billion? Maybe more? I'm not sure. Um, how many wars have been fought since God enabled human beings to have freedom? How much suffering has been endured by individuals in those wars? How many people have died of sicknesses or diseases as a result of God giving Adam and Eve freedom? You know, when you add all that up, it's a pretty big cost. It's a pretty big cost. And I go, I think to myself, you know, God must have really wrestled with this. But I keep coming back to the fact that he made the decision he made for a reason, knowing all those things. And it just keeps on highlighting to me how this freedom idea is so central to God's love. Um, it's, it's amazing. And yet, knowing what horrendous effects that tree would have, God chose to put it just where he did. Why? Because freedom is central to his love. And when you have great love, such as God has, it gives great freedom to the people who are the subject of it. And so if it was important for God to give freedom to Adam and Eve, it's crucial for us to remember the same for the people that are in our lives, um, for, you know, um, for our friends, for our families, our children, our um, our elderly parents, our, our spouses. And I want to ask you a question at this point, and I'd love to get some feedback from you. Um, looking back to your childhood, how, how would you rate your parents as far as a giving you enough freedom scale would go? Um, let's say, we'll do it on, on a scale of 1 to 10. Let's stand up again, and I'll get you to stand on this side of the room if your parents were absolutely hopeless at giving you gradual freedom in your teenage years and beyond. But if your parents were absolutely awesome, you can go over here and give them a score of 10, and you can sort of stand on the scale at some point. So if your parents were absolutely horrible and controlling as you were growing up, maybe you'd be over here. If they gave you a huge amount of freedom, you'd stand over here or somewhere in between. Okay. So you guys, you guys are, are a couple, right? Are you not? You're friends? Yes. Okay, yeah. Um, so you're over here. Interesting. I'll ask you a couple of questions in a second. And we've kind of got to... See. Okay, we've got a fair scale here. Let me start over here with um, the, the, the parents who gave you guys um, immense amounts of freedom. So it's probably looking at about a nine and a half for you two. Or ten. <laughs> really? Wow. Uh, we didn't have rules or boundaries or anything like that. Okay, so you had no rules, no boundaries. Um... I'm sensing that maybe that was too much freedom, are you suggesting? Or was that exactly what you needed? I don't think it was so much about freedom. It was just like some guidance would have been good. 
some guidance would have been good. Okay, so the freedom was was excellent, but freedom with some more guidance, perhaps. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I think I think boundaries are healthy when you're a teenager. Yeah. But like, as soon as I got my license and I could drive, like there's, there's yeah. <laughs> I'm standing right beside you there. Yeah. yeah, I was I was very similar. Um, and and you'd be probably about an eight, I'm guessing. Okay. And how would you describe that in in words? How your parents were. Right, okay. So they trusted you when you could be trusted, and otherwise they would step in and sort of give you yeah. some, some well, guidance. I just use it to my advantage and sort of make them trust me, so they didn't have to step in. <laughs> nice. A, a true child knows how to manipulate their parents. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I'm going to go to Brianna now. Um, Brianna, what were your parents like as you were in your teen years? Okay, so they were quite good, but but they um, they still had some fairly strong boundaries you know, when to be home, when to go to bed, and uh, being Brianna's husband, I, I'm well aware of the uh, bedtime rule. Um, when, well, I still do it. I call Brianna's father the sleep Nazi uh, because you know when when it's bedtime, he comes and and you know makes sure that you're aware that it is time for bed now. It is nine o'clock. Even now, still. Even now, yeah, when we're staying with her parents. Guys, you're going to go to bed soon? It's 8 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah, that's fun stuff. Um, Yeah, and they were great parents. Uh, Over over here, perhaps. Um, David, how would you describe your parents? Um, Yeah, there were a lot of rules. A lot of rules? Yeah. Perhaps too many? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yep. Um, And over here, finally, how would you describe how your parents were? Your father's a judge. Wow. Right. So he was very uh, rules focused. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, so you went from hardly any freedom to complete freedom. Yes. Wow, man. That must have been a journey for a couple of years. Yeah, and yeah. I was Maybe he has hidden cameras. No. <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. We have a very, very broad spread there. You can take your seats again now if you like. Um, we're getting a bit of exercise today because I believe in the health message. And so... Um, we've seen a microcosm now of, uh, of what it means to have freedom or be without freedom. And, um, and the struggle that us humans go through when it comes to giving freedom to other people. 
Um, and yeah, I, as I said earlier, I would very much be standing right up this end with, well, with Roy and Luke in that um, my experience in my teenage years was one where my, um, my single mum was, uh, was very, very um, enabling um, as far as my freedom goes. And she would give me freedom to do pretty much anything I wanted to do. Um, and yet, the great thing about my mother was that she had this immense love that was absolutely obvious and totally unconditional. And so when I would come home from um, having a wild night out on the town, um, you know, sometimes I would probably smell like marijuana, um, often I'd smell like um, alcohol. And, uh, you know, mum would come into my bedroom and sit on the end of my bed and she'd go, so, you know, how's things? How'd you not go? Doing okay? And, you know, I could tell she was checking up on me, but it, she always made it very clear that her love was, was very much with me. And uh, it was probably the largest factor in me becoming a Christian uh, when I was 16 or 17 years old. So I'm, I'm really thankful that my mother was a mother that gave me a lot of freedom but was also someone who gave me a lot of love. And when love and freedom are combined, um, that's a powerful mix. So we've talked about a, a, this idea of freedom quite a lot already. We've talked about how freedom means choice, um, how freedom means danger, risk, and possibility. Um, and I'd like to, to finish our discussion this afternoon by talking about um, freedom and what it means as far as redemption goes. Freedom means redemption. What do I mean by that? Um, you know, when we go back to the story of Adam and Eve, well, as we look at the massive picture of human history, um, we could say that um, when Adam and Eve made the choice they made, it was probably more a choice that resulted in um, slavery rather than freedom. They were free to make that choice, but making that choice probably resulted in more slavery um, than, than we would have thought. Um, not talking about physical slavery so much, but more so slavery um, of the human will. Have you ever experienced a time in your life um, where you wanted to do something, but your um, mind, your body sort of combined um, against your will so that you didn't do it? You know, let's say you wanted to give up smoking, and in your head you're like, yes, I want to give up smoking, definitely. You're absolutely adamant, and yet, for some reason, you can't actually give it up. Anyone ever been there with, with, with some sort of addiction or decision, some habit? Yeah, I've absolutely been there. And that is a struggle um, against captivity, against slavery, um, against the restriction of your will. And um, so we could say that when Adam and Eve um, gave in to that temptation that day, it changed the way that you and I operate. Um, it's not as simple as deciding that you want to do something because you've got to fight, fight against the fact that you're a slave to um, what the Bible calls our carnal nature. And you remember Paul talked about this, of course. Paul talked about the fact that he wanted to do good things but that he found it impossible to do them. Um, he would say things like, um, I want to do um, this, but I, but I do this instead. And um, that was like, you know, one of his big struggles that he talks about. And that's something we all struggle with, isn't it? Can I hear an amen to that one? We all struggle with deciding to do the things we actually want to do and then following through with them. Um, and so this word redemption, 
Redemption means to be to be bought back um, from slavery, perhaps. Um, and so, in the Bible, if you um, found a slave and you decided that you wanted that slave to be free, you would buy them from their slave owner, and you would be redeeming them uh, from slavery. And uh, you know, in Galatians three verse twenty one, it says, "And the Lord God made clothing." I'm oh, sorry, that was Genesis 3.21. Galatians 4.4-7 4 is what I'm after here. And it says there, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Notice there it says that Jesus came to buy us back to buy our freedom. Um, That is what this word redemption is all about. How did he do it? How do you buy freedom for someone in the spiritual sense that I've been talking about? Well, if, if the slavery that we're all involved in since Adam and Eve is that we can't do the things we want to do, buying freedom would mean that we can now do the things that we want to do. Yeah? And so that's what Jesus does at the cross. His life is sacrificed. He pays the price for our sin, for our mistakes, for our mess-ups. And now, you and I have the choice to not just do bad stuff, but also to choose another path, to choose to do what we want to do, what God wants us to do, to do those things that we find it hard to do in our own strength. And can I... Can I hear um, from someone that that has worked in your life? Has God given you um, the ability to do things that you can't do in your own strength? To overcome a, a temptation, to overcome a bad habit, to overcome an addiction? Is there someone here who can say, God has done that in my life? Absolutely. And, um, you know, God has done that for me many times. And, you know, ultimately, that freedom... That freedom to to be able to do what we want to do, it costs God a great deal. And when I look at Jesus and the sacrifices that he made for me, I'm absolutely overwhelmed by his extreme love for me. And I'm incredibly grateful for it. And so, freedom means choice. The choice to do both good and bad. Freedom means danger. And yet God does it anyway. And freedom means redemption because even if we choose to do the wrong thing, Jesus is always there ready for us to come back and has opened up a way for us to not just be bound by the slavery to sin, but to be truly free people. Amen.